welcome to Come Follow Me with Bree, episode 64, Importance of Meditation. Hello, everyone. I hope you all had a wonderful week. Um, today, I'm pretty excited. I mean, I'm excited in that we just read the whole Doctrine and Covenants, but I'm a little sad because now we're finished. I remember at the beginning of the year, I felt pretty intimidated because when I started doing this podcast, I was starting with the Book of Mormon, which I feel like is probably uh, most of our strongest suit and definitely was my strongest suit. And then I went into the Doctrine and Covenants and I was feeling a little out of sorts because I didn't feel like I just had a great grip on, on history and all that kind of stuff. And now that we're finishing, it's just, it's been such a good year. And so this week we are talking about sections 137 and 138, which is the last two sections in the Doctrine and Covenants. And more specifically, we are going to focus on a principle that we see exemplified in this section by Joseph F. Smith. Now, just to remind you, in case you've forgotten, Joseph F. Smith is Hiram Smith's son. So kind of interesting point there. Joseph F. Smith was about almost six years old when Hiram was killed. So I wonder how much he remembered about his father. All right. So let's start reading this section, section 138, starting in verse one. On the 3rd of October in the year 1918, I sat in my room pondering over the scriptures and reflecting upon the great atoning sacrifice that was made by the son of God for the redemption of the world. And the great and wonderful love made manifest by the Father and the Son in the coming of the Redeemer into the world, that through his atonement and by obedience to the principles of the gospel, mankind might be saved. So I love how he starts this out. He was sitting in his room. He was pondering or meditating, which led him to getting the amazing revelation that followed, the vision that followed about what is going on, was going on in the spirit world, and what Christ did during the time between his death and resurrection. I've always thought throughout my life, what, how, how does it happen when prophets receive revelation? Does it just like magically descend upon them? And, and I think that we have enough examples that we know that typically that's not how it happens. It comes from searching like Nephi. When he wanted to see the vision that his father saw, he went and prayed and pondered and asked. And then when Joseph Smith had the first vision, he was praying and pondering and meditating on what he had been reading and asked. And so here we have Joseph F. Smith who's doing the same thing. He's praying and pondering. He's following the direction that we've been given in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. He doesn't just say, the Savior doesn't just say, it shall be given to you, ye shall find, it shall be opened unto you. It includes an action on our part. It continues, for everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. So there's a qualifier on your part. And as we've heard from our prophet, President Nelson, he said, the Lord loves effort and effort brings rewards. Now, I don't think most of us really truly think this way, but I think our actions reflect an attitude of thinking that we can just walk through life and busily check off our task list and think because that list is full of good things that revelation is surely to come in the midst of all of that. And I think that the examples of prophets and in the scriptures and direction we've been given totally contradict that. So we really need to make time in our lives to seek and ask and knock and meditate and pray and do all the things that we need to do in order to make time 
for that revelation, for that peace, for that comfort to come to our life. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Let's first remember by what power we will receive when we seek. In Gospel Topics, it says that the Holy Ghost bears witness of the Father and the Son and reveals and teaches the truth of all things. We can receive a sure testimony of Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ only by the power of the Holy Ghost. Really quick as a side note, I just want to point out that it says that we can receive a sure testimony of Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ only by the power of the Holy Ghost. So we can acquire all of the the evidences and we can have really good spiritual experiences in church and all the other things that help support our testimony. But ultimately, our testimony has to come through a witness of the Holy Ghost. And that's tricky for... I mean, it's, it's just, ah, I'm just having so many thoughts. It's just so cool how so much of our lives, so much of the gospel is dependent on faith. This cannot be proved. And I think that's why a lot of people have a hard time with it. And sometimes I just enjoy thinking about how I don't understand all things and that I need to take things on faith because ultimately it all comes back to faith and the fact that it always seems to circle around faith just demonstrates that we weren't meant to know all things, which is really good because if we felt like we were supposed to know all things, then life would be really, really hard. All right. Gospel Topics continues. His communication to our spirit carries far more certainty than any communication we can receive through our natural senses. Pretty cool. So the Holy Ghost has the power to reveal truth to our hearts that can resonate more strongly than the power and evidence of our senses. We also know that the Holy Ghost communicates through a still, small voice. So if we seek revelation or clarity or peace, it seems logical that we have to make space in our lives for stillness so that we can discern when the Holy Ghost is speaking to us and revealing things to us. I think we've all had the experience where we can feel the lack of a strong presence from the Holy Ghost when our lives are too busy and too loud. We have also been told by President Nelson that we will need to access and acquire the skill of personal revelation in order to survive. And I guess I don't really know if I, I don't know, it's, to me it seems like it's kind of between a skill and a spiritual gift. Like it is a spiritual gift, but I also think that we become more skilled in receiving personal revelation once we feel and know how it works. And I just, I just think we get better at it. And I guess maybe that's just an, an increasing of that gift. So skill or spiritual gift, whatever you want to call it. And aside from revelation, we will also need comfort as we endure whatever is ahead of us in our lives. So going back to gospel topics, which I, I think I've told you guys before, I love gospel topics. I love going in and reading. It's just so clear and concise. And so if you're ever bored and you're like, I don't know what to do for my scripture study, just go read gospel topics. But gospel topics also says that the Holy Ghost is the comforter. As a soothing voice of a loving parent can quiet a crying child, the whisperings of the spirit can calm our fears, hush the nagging worries of our life and comfort us when we grieve. The Holy Ghost can fill us with hope and perfect love and teach us the peaceable things of the kingdom. So the Holy Ghost can reveal truth to our hearts and comfort our spirits through a still, small voice. In order for there to be sensitivity to that, we need to make sure that we are making time 
and emotional space to be able to perceive that communication. President David O. McKay said, We pay too little attention to the value of meditation, a principle of devotion. Isn't that a cool way to say that? That meditation is a principle of devotion? It's showing love and loyalty and enthusiasm for the gospel when we choose to spend our time to devote our time to pondering the subjects of the gospel. And by that, I don't just mean that we're academically studying the gospel, but also just even sitting there and pondering the love that the Savior has for you and meditating on that. All right, President McKay continues, Meditation is the language of the soul. It is defined as a form of private devotion or spiritual exercise consisting in deep, continued reflection on some religious theme. Meditation is a form of prayer. It is one of the most secret, most sacred doors through which we pass into the presence of the Lord. Wow. One of the most secret, most sacred doors through which we pass into the presence of the Lord. So it seems like we should all pursue this form of prayer. President Nelson describes the kind of men and women that we need to be. And he doesn't say the word meditation here, but it's certainly implied. Brothers and sisters, how can we become the men and women, the Christ-like servants the Lord needs us to be? How can we find answers to the questions that perplex us? If Joseph Smith's transcendent experience in the sacred grove teaches us anything, it is that the heavens are open and that God speaks to his children. The prophet Joseph Smith set us a pattern for us to follow in resolving our questions, drawn to the promise of James that if we lack wisdom, we may ask of God. The boy Joseph took his question directly to Heavenly Father. He sought personal revelation, and his seeking opened this last dispensation. In like manner, what will your seeking open for you? What wisdom do you lack? What do you feel an urgent need to know or understand? Follow the example of the prophet Joseph. Find a quiet place where you can regularly go. Humble yourself before God. Pour out your heart to your Heavenly Father. Turn to Him for answers and for comfort. Pray in the name of Jesus Christ about your concerns, your fears, your weaknesses, yes, the very longings of your heart. And then listen. Write the thoughts that come to your mind. Record your feelings and follow through with actions that you are prompted to take. As you repeat this process day after day, month after month, year after year, you will grow into the principle of revelation. Does God really want to speak to you? Yes. As well might man stretch forth his puny arm to stop the Missouri River in its decreed course as to hinder the Almighty from pouring down knowledge from the heavens upon the heads of the Latter-day Saints. You don't have to wonder about what is true. You do not have to wonder whom you can safely trust. Through personal revelation, you can receive your own witness that the Book of Mormon is the Word of God, that Joseph Smith is a prophet, and that this is the Lord's Church. Regarding of what others might say or do, no one can ever take away a witness born to your heart and mind about what is true. I urge you to stretch beyond your current spiritual ability to receive personal revelation. For the Lord has promised that if thou shalt seek, thou shalt receive revelation upon revelation, knowledge upon knowledge, that thou mayest know the mysteries and the peaceable things, that which bringeth joy, that which bringeth eternal life. Oh, there is so much more that your Father in heaven wants you to know. As Elder Neil A. Maxwell taught, to those that have eyes to see and ears to hear, it is clear that the Father and the Son are giving away the secrets of the universe.
Man, I love that talk. So now that we've established the importance of stillness and prayer and asking and seeking and meditation, let's talk about the reasons that it can be hard and then how we can hone that skill. I, for sure, have a hard time sometimes with stillness. My sisters and I, sometimes we talk about something that we enjoy, about something that we seem to have gotten from from our mom probably, is that we don't mind being bored. We can just sit there and really have no plan and we are just fine. We don't need to be going places. Even when we're on vacation, we're happy to just sit there and be with each other. And even if we're being really boring and not even talking, we're just content. But somehow... (laughs) That doesn't translate very well to me with stillness when I am meditating. And I think that's because it's a very different form of of stillness. And I don't think it's unusual to have a hard time with this type of stillness. When I am trying to meditate or pray, I find that I get bored quickly and my mind wanders and I often get distracted by what I need to get done next. I know that one thing that gets in the way of my stillness is not the actual tasks that I have in my day on my to-do list, but just the emotional burden of knowing how much I need to accomplish that day. I could for sure fit 10 minutes of meditation in logically into that long to-do list that I feel like I have every day. But the weight of that list in my mind leaves me feeling frantic and unable to commit to stillness. Any of you relate to that? I feel like we all kind of feel like that sometimes. One of my main primary prayers throughout my life has always been asking for help being the person that I want to be, accomplishing what I want to accomplish, and being good about following through with all of my obligations. And those obligations include obligations that I have to my Father in Heaven, covenants that I've made to always remember Him and to dedicate my time and my effort to building up the kingdom of God. And I'm sure most of you can relate that sometimes that part, that most important part, gets put on the back burner, gets put last, because Heavenly Father generally is not there reminding us and saying like, hey, you were supposed to meet with me at four o'clock, and it just slips through the cracks. So anytime I pray about this, about wanting to be the kind of person I want to be and being able to do all the things that I want to do, the prompting that I always get when I'm praying about this is, Put him first. Put the Savior first in front of all of my tasks. And I feel a promise when I when I feel that prompting that the rest will work itself out. And man, I feel like right now I am off track. I need to get back in that mindset because truly, I 100% believe that he will help me accomplish what I need to the rest of the day if I consecrate my first time of the day to him. I truly have had a really hard time the last three months or so. I feel like I'm just spinning my wheels. I have too many obligations. I've been going out of town a ton and it feels like I just don't have time to do any of the things that I really want to do because I'm so busy doing all the things that I quote have to do. And it has been exhausting and honestly, fairly unfulfilling when I started preparing this episode, I didn't I didn't know at the time that this was going to be so specifically a message directed at myself. Everything I'm telling you today is exactly what I need to hear right now. And I hope it's perhaps something that you need to hear as well. I know that I need to put him first 
in the time priorities of my day. And by doing that, I know that the rest will fall into place. And I know that for sure, especially if you are praying for it. I think you can ask Heavenly Father and say, Heavenly Father, I feel like I don't have time to do this, but I have faith that this will be worth it. And I also have faith that thou will help me make up the difference. And I believe he'll do it. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't still make very wise choices about how to spend your time and what to commit your time to. But doesn't that seem just such an obvious fix to, I don't have time to read my scriptures or I don't have time to meditate or pray? Of course, he'll help you with the rest of your day. Just dedicate a little bit of time to him. And this suggestion that I always get from the Spirit, it it's kind of interesting to think about how when I hear someone give me suggestions, like my husband, <laughs> about what might work to help me be more efficient with my time and my mind, or actually out loud, I might argue back with him why that won't work. But when I feel the Spirit tell me to put the Savior first in my day, I cannot convince my mind to argue back because I know that it will work. Another thing I struggle with with being still is that I have a hard time sitting still sometimes. Kind of for the same reason that my mind won't be still. I just feel like I need to like get up and do something. And I think my encouragement there would be to find out what works for you. I love yoga. And I find that when I turn on church music while I do yoga, that is some of my best meditating. But you could do all kinds of things and just figure out what works for you. You could sit in a comfortable chair. You could lay on the floor. You could go on a peaceful walk. Experiment with different things and figure out what helps you focus your mind on the Savior and whatever answers to questions or comfort that you are seeking. Another problem that I know I run up against, and I know I have heard other people talk about running up against this problem, is they feel like they don't have a peaceful place to go that would allow for some stillness. And I have some friends that actually refuse to do certain activities unless it is as calm as they would like it to be during that activity, which often just ends up making you exclude that activity out of your life. Like I said, I really love yoga for meditation. And I have found that even when I am in the midst of chaos with my kids, as long as I accept the chaos around me instead of fight against it or get angry at it, I can still have a very peaceful experience. Now, I'm not saying I don't prefer it when it's just naturally quiet, but I'd just like to challenge you to not use that as an excuse to not be still for a bit. If it's noisier than you like, more distracting than you like, practice for small increments of time just being okay with the chaos around you and accepting it for what it is. You'll be surprised how much peace you can find even in the midst of that. And I do, when I say practice, I do think you should start, if you struggle with that, start with a small amount of time. Because if you just try and start, okay, for 30 minutes, it's going to be chaotic in here and I'm just going to feel peaceful the whole time. If that's something you struggle with, it's probably not going to work. Try just putting your hand on your heart and breathing deeply for 30 seconds. There's a reason that they call meditation practice. It's a skill that you can improve. It's an exercise for your brain. Hard at first and then eventually, slowly, can be made easier. Another reason that I struggle to maintain a practice of meditation and prayer is because often it's not necessarily always immediate gratification. I think for a little while, especially if you're like me and you're really trying to get better at it and you feel like you're not good at it yet, 
Stillness and meditation and prayer is a skill that you are honing and it can be frustrating because like I said, it really is a skill. So it takes patience while you're getting better at it because I think at first the rewards probably seem a little smaller and then as you grow, like President Nelson said, into that principle of revelation, you are able to get more satisfying results as time goes on and as you are more consistent with it. This weekend, I gave a talk at my eight-year-old son's baptism, and I talked to him about baptismal covenants, and I told him how each covenant, including baptism itself, can be traced back to following the example of Jesus Christ. There's bearing your testimony, bearing his name. That's what Jesus Christ did all through his life, always giving glory to the Father, always bearing testimony of the Father. There's bearing one another's burden. What did Christ spend his life doing? Serving others. So. Just like those things are following in Christ's footsteps, I think that we can also follow in Christ's footsteps by learning to pray and meditate better. Let's read some examples of how we see this demonstrated in the Savior's life. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. And then Mark 6, verse 46. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. Luke 21, 37. And in the daytime he was teaching in the temple, and at night he went out and abode in the mount that is called the Mount of Olives. It's clear that the Savior set aside time to communicate with his Father. And just like so many other things in our lives, here is yet again another way that we can follow in his footsteps. I want to end with President Nelson, what he said in the last general conference. My brothers and sisters, I plead with you to make time for the Lord. Make your own spiritual foundation firm and able to stand the test of time by doing those things that allow the Holy Ghost to be with you always. Never underestimate the profound truth that the Spirit speaketh of things as they really are and of things as they really will be. It will show unto you all things what ye should do. That's what I want to leave with you this week. Do what President Nelson has asked us to do and make time for the Lord. And I can promise you that that consecration of your time will bring you blessings more than you could imagine. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks so much for listening this week. As always, it's so helpful for me when you guys share. If someone popped into your mind while you were listening or right now, just send it to them. We all spend enough time sending and sharing media that doesn't matter a whole lot or even isn't uplifting at all. And so when we hear and feel something good in our spirit and have a prompting to share it, let's make sure that we're following through with that, whether that's me or another podcast or a video that the church puts out, just share, share as easily as you would a funny cat video. I don't know. Maybe you guys don't like cat videos. I kind of like cat videos. Anyway, getting off topic. Just share, and I'll talk to you again next week.